Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. Learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com, or you can always download the free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 44, 21 through 45. So we ended in Isaiah 44, 24 last time, but let me take you back um, for a moment. 44, 21. Remember these things, O Jacob and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you, 44, 21. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have wiped out your transgressions like a thick cloud and your sins like a heavy mist. And here's the the verse that struck me at the end of last week. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. And then shout for joy, O heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout joyfully, you lower parts of the earth. Break forth into a shout of joy, you mountains, O forest and every tree in it. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob. And in Israel, he shows forth his glory. Thus says the Lord, verse 24, your redeemer and the one who formed you from the womb. I, the Lord, am the maker of all things. Notice the emphasis here, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. If you skip ahead to 45.7, God says something similar the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. We'll come back to that. I am the Lord who does all these. I made the universe alone. I stretched out the heavens alone. I am the only one that did it. I and I alone. So this debunks the whole idea of a council of gods creating the world. This debunks the idea of multiple deities being uh, responsible for different parts of the universe. God uh, describes himself stretching out the heavens, notice, by himself and spreading out the earth all alone. He was the only one by himself all alone. Now this connects to the idea of him being the redeemer in verse 24. Thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the one who buys you back, the one who purchases you, I have the right to do that because I'm the one who formed you from the womb, and then I'm the one who, of course, made all things. The one who made us is the one who redeems us. In the New Testament, if you hold your finger in Isaiah and go to Colossians chapter 1, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, pass up 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and... You'll figure it out. (laughs) Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Okay, chapter one. I want you to see something about who the creator is identified to be and the redeemer. This is uh, linked together in Colossians one. Notice what it says. Let's start at verse 13. He, for he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. In whom or in him, Jesus, this Colossians 1.14, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Remember the verse says, I have wiped away your sins, I have forgotten them. And he is the image, the Greek word is icon there, of the invisible God. If you want a quick 
uh, description, Jesus is the physical manifestation of the invisible God. Or you can say it this way, Jesus is the, fi- the visible manifestation of the invisible God. Jesus is God in a body. In him, Colossians 2.9, dwell all the fullness of the deity in bodily form. Colossians 2.9. So Jesus is the manifestation, the physical manifestation of the invisible God. God is spirit, remember. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, verse 16, how many things? All things were created both in the heavens, remember God stretched out the heavens, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, Not some, but all things have been created by him. Notice it's identifying Jesus as the creator and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, Jesus Christ, all things hold together. He is also the head of the body, the church. He's our redeemer, our head. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself might come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him, through Jesus, 20, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body through death, in order to present you before him holy, notice this is your position now in Christ, and blameless and beyond reproach, that is unaccusable before the Father because of the work of the Son. I want you to see how in the New Testament, when Paul tells you who Jesus is, he links together Jesus' the fact that he's the creator and the fact that he's also the redeemer. So if God is the only one in the beginning that stretched out the heavens and the earth, and Jesus is, was there as the creator and sustainer of the universe, then Jesus must be God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was there in the beginning with God. And in the beginning, God did what? He created the heavens and the earth. So Jesus was there in the beginning And in the beginning, time was created with the creation. So Jesus was there before the beginning began. And if Jesus doesn't have a beginning, then therefore he is God, because God is eternal. And so here you have the triune nature of God. The one who made you is Jesus Christ. The one who came to the earth to die for you is Jesus Christ. The one who redeemed you by through the blood of his cross is Jesus Christ. And he loved us so much that he came into the world to redeem us. If you go to Galatians, a couple letters uh, back towards uh, the Old Testament, look at chapter 3, Galatians 3, look at verse 13. Galatians 3, 13, it says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. What is the curse of the law? Well, go back and look at verse 10 with me. Galatians 3.10. For as many as, are, uh, as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, 
Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. Why? Because we don't perform everything that's written in the law. And we've talked in the past just about God's top 10. We just talk about the Ten Commandments. We all fall short. We've all told lies. We've all put other gods before the God of the Bible. We've all coveted. We've all probably hated someone in our heart, possibly without a cause. Um, And you can go on and on. But Christ redeemed us from that curse because he nailed the laws and ordinances that were against us. He took them out of the way, having nailed them to the cross, having become a curse for us. This is what happened in the, the divine substitution. God allows Jesus to become the curse instead of us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, and if you're a Christian, that's what you are. You're in Christ Jesus. The blessing of Abraham, speaking now back to Israel, might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. And then go to 1 Peter. So I want you to see how these promises of a Redeemer apply to you because you've been grafted in. 1 Peter 1, look at verse 18 with me. 1 Peter 1, 18. Knowing that you are not redeemed with perishable things, 1 Peter 1.18, like silver or gold from your futile way of life, inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. For he, Jesus, verse 20, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you. That's the New American Standard, but you could just put it this way. He's appeared in these last times for your sake. That's why he came. He came for your sake. He came because God loves you and me personally, who through him are believers in God, 21, who raised, who, uh, raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Now let's go back to Isaiah. This is our Redeemer. He's our Creator and Redeemer. And as we go on in the study, we're going to see that he, he works in some surprising ways. As a matter of fact, we're about to look, see how he used a pagan king to save his people. But before we go there, let's go to verse 25, 44, 25. God causes the omens of boasters to fail, 44, 25, our Creator and Redeemer, making fools out of diviners. I I talked to you about divination in the last few weeks. Causing wise men to draw back and turning their knowledge into foolishness. New King James says, who frustrates the signs of the babblers, think of Babylon here, drives diviners mad. That's what God does. Who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness. They have a, a plethora of records now from ancient Babylon And they've discovered of all the diviners, of all the astrologers, of all that the king would bring in to give him news about the future of the kingdom of Babylon, every single diviner, uh, every single prognosticator in Babylon always had good news of hope for the king. In other words, they never brought him bad news. 
Do you know why that was? You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. We have just celebrated Easter, so the first series is on the resurrection. So if something is that, that's written down reflects poorly on what is being described or what is being reported on, if that reflects poorly... That lends to its credibility. Yes. Because normally we say, well, the writers are biased. Regardless, we're not just talking about the New Testament. Any writer's biased, they want to get their point of view across. But what shows their objectivity or attempt to be objective is when they include information or facts that reflect poorly on themselves or the narrative they're trying to push. Yes. And, and so let's take a step further towards that. So when the women go to the apostles who are supposed to be the brave followers of Christ, right. they say... The, the women have lost their minds, to paraphrase. They do. They're just crazy tales. They, they don't believe it, which is another embarrassment yeah. because, of course, the, the documents go on to say that Christ is risen and it becomes crystal clear. But the, the way that it, this is written down, and we believe it corresponds exactly to what happened, is that they don't believe. They have no faith. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. We'd love to see who's listening, so please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walk in Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. Every singer, single pro- prognosticator in Babylon always had good news of hope for the king. They, in other words, they never brought him bad news. Do you know why that was? Because they wanted to live exactly right. Because if you brought the king bad news, remember even Nehemiah said, I was never sad in the king's presence in Nehemiah chapter 1. It's because the king could just cut your head off if he didn't like what you had to share. And then he'd sign a new prognosticator to a limited contract to the next time the king got angry with you. And that's how it worked. So nobody brought the king bad news. But the fact is that if somebody would have been honest with the king and really had true prophecy, they would have foretold the fall of Babylon, which was just around the the corner by the hand of God who would use Cyrus as his tool. But they didn't want to do that. And so here's what it says. God confirms 26, the word of his servant, think of Isaiah the prophet, and performing the purpose of his messengers. When God sends somebody, it will be accomplished. It is I who says of Jerusalem, she shall be inhabited, though it looked dark as the people were in captivity. And of the cities of Judah, they shall be built. God is making declarations. It will happen. And I will raise up her ruins again. God is the one who performs this. And he takes us back to Exodus language so we don't forget about his power. 27. It is I who says to the depth of the sea, think of the Red Sea, be dried up. 
The one who made the sea can speak to the sea and say to the sea, you will be dry and it will listen because he made it and he can tell it to dry up. And he can say to the rivers like the Jordan, I will make your rivers dry, Exodus language. And it is I who says of Cyrus, and I mentioned this is 150 years before Cyrus is born. He is named by name, and what God says of the Persian pagan king is something shocking to the Jewish reader. Cyrus is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire And he declares of Jerusalem, so now Cyrus becomes the tool of God, and God had proclaimed this in the previous verse, she will be built, and of the temple which Nebuchadnezzar destroyed, your foundation will be laid. In the Jewish mind, this is shocking. How could God use a pagan idolater, and that's what the Persian king was, he embraced many gods, he had a repatriation um, philosophy about him, and and Israel was not the only people that he sent back to their land, and they were not the only people that he helped to rebuild their temple. This was part of his philosophy. And it appears that for Cyrus, it was because he wanted to be in good graces with all the gods of the nations. So this is what he did. And God used him as a tool to send the people back, and incredibly, Cyrus became God's shepherd. And I would submit to you it's because the shepherds of Israel weren't doing such a great job being shepherds. Look at Isaiah 56, verse 10. Isaiah 56, 10. His watchmen are blind. All of them, 56, 10, know nothing. All of them are dumb dogs. They had a low view of dogs, by the way, in Israel. They kind of wandered the streets there. I know we all love our dogs, but these are called uh, dumb dogs, unable to bark. Have you ever seen one of those dogs that has lost his bark? That's kind of a sad thing. Drawing down who love to slumber. I had someone send me an email, and I don't know if you guys saw this, but it was an email of two dogs. One dog had gotten a disease, have you seen this, and had its eyes removed, and it shows pictures of the dog with its eyes removed and his head is on his other buddy dog and the the one dog who can see has become the eyes of the dog blind the dog that's blind and they they go everywhere together and one picture shows the dog that can see he's got the leash of the dog the blind dog in his mouth and he's leading the blind dog around and he's become his eyes and it's like one of these really touching touching things but they are like dogs unable to bark and here's the issue. They are dreamers lying down who love to slumber. They're lazy. And the dogs are greedy. They are not satisfied. And they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each one to his unjust gain to the last one. Come, they say, let us get wine. Let us drink heavily of strong drink. And tomorrow will be like today, only more so. Nothing's going to change. We'll just live it up. We'll do what we want to do. We'll live how we want to live. And there's going to be no problem. And God, I guess we could safely say, according to this verse, when he finds no shepherds after his heart, among his people, he chooses people that he can use that are outside of his people. God can use even foreign nations. He used Assyria against the northern kingdom. He used 
Babylon against the southern kingdom. And now he uses Persia to bring his people back to the land. That's three pagan kings to accomplish God's will, which you and I, as a student of the scriptures, should then say, goodness, that tells me something about the control of my God, even over nations and kings of the world. That ultimately, this is God's universe, God's plan, and he can move the chess pieces, he can hit rewind, he can do anything that he wants because he is sovereign God. So as nothing is outside of his ultimate control, nothing uh, escapes his notice, and he can use the, the pieces that are presently on the chessboard, as it were, kings and knights and whatever you want to say, and queens, to accomplish his will. He exploits these things for his good purposes. Thus says the Lord, look at 45.1. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed, Cyrus is anointed. If you read a Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, the Septuagint, you would see Cyrus is Christ. Cyrus is Christos. Cyrus, his anointed one. And the evidence is, brothers and sisters, that Cyrus did not have a personal relationship with God. So how could Cyrus be the anointed of God? And in one sense, if you read commentaries on Isaiah, you'll see that the authors will say that Cyrus foreshadowed in some way the Messiah. How so? Because the Messiah would bring deliverance of his people from the captivity of sin and bring them back ultimately to the land where he will rule and reign from Jerusalem. And Cyrus, a Persian king, in some way becomes a foreshadowing of the anointed one, the Messiah. And they would say of the kings that he is anointed by God. And they would literally anoint the kings with oil. And incredibly, Cyrus, a Persian king, becomes the anointed of God. And Persia is now modern-day Iran. Wow. You've been listening to part one of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 44, 21 through 45. If you missed any part of today's program, you can listen to Walk in Truth on our Free Living Truth app or wherever you get your podcasts. And remember that Walk in Truth is a listener-supported ministry. Your financial partnership helps us broadcast on this station. How long have you been listening? Can you help us pay for airtime on this station? We'd be blessed if you could help us continue in this ministry. A monthly partnership of at least $5 a month is all we ask. That's like the price of a cup of coffee, unless you're really fancy. Anyway, if you're blessed by this ministry and believe others in your community can be too, please visit walkintruth.com now to donate. That's walkintruth.com. Now here's Pastor Michael before we go. Well, sometimes when you hear language like, I have redeemed Jacob or redeemed Israel, you might be thinking, well, okay, if that's happened, then... Is that the end of the story? Is God going to widen that out? And remember that Jacob and Israel are really synonymous in much of the Bible. And the idea here is that God redeems his people. All who trust in him, Old and New Testament, Jew and Gentile alike, we all come the same way. We believe, we trust in the Lord, and righteousness is given to our account. Now, we are looking back on the the events of the Passion of the Christ. We just commemorated that on Good Friday. We look back to a Savior who shed his blood, defeated death, and rose from the dead. And so remember, the focus of God is the world. And even though Jacob became a tool, just like Abraham and Isaac did, ultimately, 
to lead us to Messiah, Yeshua, Jesus Christ. On him, the Gentiles, in him, the Gentiles will hope. He is the hope of Jew and Gentile. He is our peace. Trust in him today. If you've walked away from him, come back to your good shepherd because he is faithful and he will guide you all the way home to the destination he's got for you, which is the hope of eternal life in him. And that hope is the anchor of our soul. Well, thank you so much for listening to Walk in Truth. This is Pastor Michael Lance. Here we are on a Friday, and uh, I'd like to invite you to our fellowship. If you're anywhere within driving distance of the Inland Empire, we have two services going on on Sunday mornings, 8.30 a.m. and 10.30 a.m., the church is Living Truth. The city is Corona. We're right near the, where the 91 and 15 freeways intersect. Uh, we'd love for you to come on out, bring family and friends, uh, enjoy some time together as we worship the Lord. If you don't have a home church or you'd like to experience one of the services here, we would love to have you. Go to walkintruth.com, click on that church tab, walkintruth.com. Now, if you're outside of the area, then find someone and bring them to church, bring them to a good, solid local church. And if all else fails and you can't get out on that Sunday, remember we do live stream our 1030 a.m. service here at Living Truth in Corona. Hey, so glad you're listening to Walk in Truth as we walk through the book of Isaiah. This is Pastor Michael. Hey, have a blessed weekend. Thank you for partnering and praying for us and partnering with us. We love you. Have a tremendous weekend and enjoy the day. God bless you. And you can join us on Monday for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 44, 21 through 45. I'm Mike Massaro. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Our goal is to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.